This is the Virgin Radio Pridecast with Alex Milsom and Shivani Dave. Hello and welcome back to the Virgin Radio Pridecast with me, Shivani Dave. And with me, Alex Milsom. In case you missed our first episode last week, each and every Friday we are going to be looking back over the fabulous three months that was... Virgin Radio Pride. And if we do an all right job of it, we're going to be continuing, or at least trying to continue, the conversations which we started over the summer. Last week we chatted about coming out, and this week we're getting a little bit meta, talking about why we even need LGBTQ plus podcasts, media representation, blah, 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 stuff like what we're doing right here. That's very meta. When we launched Virgin Radio Pride back in June, we had so much positive reaction. But as always, there were a few people who didn't quite understand why the radio station and why representation in general is so important. I mean, I tended to get nice comments. Nobody was sort of like, what's the point in this? All my friends were like, yes, get paid. (laughs) But those are the kinds of conversations that happen all the time whenever there's any form of like LGBT representation right any pride parade or whatever any it's, point it's literally always like you've got equal marriage now what more do you want you are able to marry people so can't you just be happy with that that's kind of what it feels like I was it's quite pleasantly surprised to be fair I thought I was going to get loads of really bad reaction on Instagram and you know, that, you know posting the posts and being really happy about it I was so fearful of that that I actually turned off notifications on Instagram I was there like it's like Schrodinger's cat you might have a load of horrible messages that might be really nice I don't know I'm just going to pretend that they're nice and go about my day to day yeah that's really like sad because you would like to think that people understand the need Mm -hmm. for A you just living your life and having fun and doing a job that you love and enjoy but also the fact that people social media people just want to be hateful I'm over it over it you and me both but fortunately here we are having a grand time still doing a podcast clearly hopefully showing why the radio station and the podcast matters in the first place one of the classic things that we heard time and time again when talking about virgin radio pride the radio station was why isn't there a straight radio station or why don't we have a straight pride it's all in that same vein and that was exactly the question that our wonderful Matt Kane from the Sunday Roast answered with his panellist, Dr. Ranj Singh, and psychotherapist, Zaina Ratti. Here, have a listen. Newsflash, those have been in existence <laughs> up until this point. And that's the problem. People have become numb and blind to what is going on. Most media channels have catered to a certain kind of person up until relatively recently speaking. Most radio stations have. The reason you don't have a straight pride is because you never needed one. You don't get, you know, threatened to be killed purely because of who you are, because of your sexuality or who you love. Or, you know, even, or even made to feel ashamed. I mean, pride is the opposite of shame, isn't it? Absolutely. And that's why I think a lot of these people who make those sort of comments do it from a position where they haven't had to experience what we've had, what we've had to go through, the shame that we felt, the guilt that we felt, the fact that I still hesitate to hold my partner's hand if I'm in public. If it show a, a display of affection, and I, I'm a very affectionate, tactile, loving person. I think everyone should be, but I still hold my breath sometimes in public 
before I do something like that. Oh, get this, Ranj. So last year, I um, not to talk about my boyfriend, but I got engaged. <laughs> all boyfriend. right, all right. Some oh, of us are still single, okay? <laughs> actually, what, what you've just said made me think. Um, he, we went to the seaside for a day out. Got a long story short. On the way, I twigged that he was going to propose, Ooh. and we're sitting on the beach. We just went to the seaside for a day out outside London in between lockdowns. We're sitting on the beach. I could see he was building up to it the first thing I did was look around to see um, what are these people going to say so many straight people have stories about getting down on one knee in a restaurant and this that and the other we can't do that our first thought is what are people going to think what are people going to think you know I thought after my boyfriend asked me to marry him I want to kiss him I want to have a romantic moment and I'm thinking oh there's a there's a white guy with tattoos and looking a bit kind of threatening a bit toxic what am I you know is it going to be safe to do that and we have that built in don't we but um, a lot of people with privilege don't understand that I'd love to know your thoughts on this then because as you said to us before you have you're a bisexual woman you can pass yeah. you often you know which obviously is a double-edged sword you're presumably having to come out all the time Yeah. But um, but you don't necessarily have to think how are people going to react to my in-your-face, visible queerness? So I guess that the closest thing that we could align that to is something called code switching. And code switching is where you go into a place and you risk assess. You risk assess whether you are safe there or not. That's exactly what you did while you were on the beach, was you had a look around. Am I safe? Am I going to get into trouble here? When I go into a place, if I don't see anybody that looks like me, talks like me, or is like me, I don't see maybe a pride flag anywhere or whatever, you immediately feel unsafe and you code switch. So you play up and play down facets of your personality. And it's about keeping you safe not everybody else out that's what we've done our entire lives i totally get that point about code switching and i think all lgbtq plus people do that you know whether it's on the way home from a pride parade and i see people it's the saddest thing that i see people sort of wiping their glitter off while they're traveling home by themselves so that they don't get you know harassed or worse as they get off the train wherever they end up putting the sequins away in the rucksack after a big night out yeah we've all seen it all seen it on the tube all seen it we've all done it ourselves i mentioned that in the the very first episode getting the i think it was a 241 bus back after a night out and thinking make sure i pack a hoodie and that's that's the sort of experience that we we have day to day do you think do you think there are times in your life that you have to code switch yeah, I've done it in in straight spaces, in really queer spaces, in Asian places, in white places. It's it's one of those things that I seem to do everywhere I go to the point where sometimes I don't even know which element of me is the real element of me mm-hmm. that I'm putting on display because I think that's just something that happens when you've got you know multiple facets of your identity that make you stand out as a minority and you just want to try and fit in. For me, it's the workplace. And they always say the sign of a good place to work is a place where you can bring your true self to work. And that is genuinely something I swear by. But even then, when I feel like in the respective hats that I wear in my life, I am not 100% certain. I am always bringing myself. I'm constantly thinking am I a bit too camp or am I a bit too, you know, out there or am I, do I need to reel it back in? 
and that actually is quite disappointing when you think about that we think we've re- reached a lot we have made a lot of progress considering where we were probably years ago but it is disappointing to think ah actually there are points now that i'm sitting here in front of a microphone looking at you thinking yeah, yeah there are times that i've had to reel it in without even meaning to reel it in yeah but i guess like what we're talking about is really sad and like thinking about it now it makes me kind of emotional but just by having more representation on the telly do you think that would actually change things well it depends if they're actually there meaningfully you know um not just there to kind of carry you know carry the direction of the the, the main characters it would matter that they're, they're meaningful characters that you can relate to that aren't just caricatures of you know, someone walking in all flustered. To be fair, actually, most of my life I spend all flustered, so that would be a really good, accurate representation of me. But seeing just normal representations of people that aren't caricatures that made me think, oh, I don't want to be gay because that's what I'm going to turn out to be. Yeah, the stereotypes and then playing Mm. on the stereotypes. There's this thing called the Vito Russo test, which is a little bit like the Bechdel test. Um, And it's basically a way to, like, measure how good quote-unquote the representation of an lgbtq plus character is in like tv movies whatever and i think one of the criteria is that they have to have something more to them than their sexuality or gender identity oh yeah which i think is something that so many like films fall over on the first literally the first hurdle and i imagine them writing the name of the character (laughs) being like ah so this is andrew and he's gay and that's all you need that's to know. That's all you need to know. Brilliant. Thanks very much. Well done, everyone. We did some representation. We did a representation. You can yeah. imagine them patting themselves in the back of that meeting. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but I think, like, you know, it feels like we are living in an age now and, like, Gen Z, oh, my God, the kids will be all right because we're living through a time where representation, at least on screen, is getting a lot better both in like celebrity culture i mean just little nas x you've got sam smith you've got demi lovato but also on tv shows like there's some incredible programming out there at the moment like sex education um big mouth which i'm binging season five (laughs) of at the moment but also no spoilers no spoilers but also what a mutual favorite of both of ours Shit's creek oh i'm just grinning but there's still such a long way to go. And it hasn't always been like this. Not at all. Um, let's have a look now back to a time when this really wasn't the case, uh, to 1987, when Lord Michael Cashman had the first gay kiss on EastEnders. Here he is chatting to Steve Denyer. That kiss, it happened um, in 1987, I think I'm right in saying that. I was nine years old at junior school, and I remember the other kids talking about EastEnders and this kiss and talking about it in very kind of negative terms. I mean, it was in the press, wasn't it? That headline, EastEnders. I remember feeling quite wary and frightened to watch it because... I didn't know what the reaction was going to be, but I also thought of you and thought, gosh, how how extremely brave to be doing this in the 80s on national television. It being in the show uh, was pretty controversial because even before I appeared, we had the East Enders headline mm. about me going in. There were questions in Parliament because uh, they were putting a homosexual in a family show, so i.e. homosexuals and families not shouldn't be together they are not together absolute rubbish we know 
Um, uh, and because AIDS and HIV was, quote, swirling around the country uh, like a gay plague. Uh, so being in the show, there was a lot of opposition, external opposition. Uh, but we just got on with it. And it was very clever because it was about three months in. So you kind of knew him through the people that were that would have been there the 10 months before him, like Pauline Fowler, Doc Cotton. Mm -hmm. um, so they liked him through that and Den and Angie. Um, and so when we did that kiss, uh, Gary Hales, who played my partner, Barry, in it, and, and he was below the age of con consent in the show. Really? OK, yep. right. Yep. Uh, very, very uh, clever. And uh, we just, it, it was a, a peck on the, on the forehead. To begin with, and that got all the headlines, didn't it? The peck. Yeah. Uh, and, and they went berserk. The tabloids went mad. The, the moral campaign of the time, uh, so-called, Mary Whitehouse, uh, wrote a, a letter saying that these characters should be taken off. Young children are watching this show. And, and Julia Smith, who produced the show, just took hold of the letter, showed it to me. She said, I'm going to have that framed and put up, <laughs> put up with all, all her other ones. Brilliant. Um, but it was wonderful we just got on with it but the tabloids made our life hell i absolutely love the boss that's just gone we got a hate letter should we frame it i just think that's that's great i, th I think that's what we kind of needed you know a, a champion it's a champion of of kind of just going yeah we're going to be insulted but um gonna frame the letter anyway it's the kind of stand that you need like your boss to make if you're working in this industry right you need someone who's going to like have your back through all of this and um i think that boss complete babe for doing that <laughs> i find absolutely shocking that and of course this is a completely different time this is 1987 a time when seeing a kiss on the telly with a peck on the forehead would result in questions in Parliament causing the soap to be accused of eroding family values because there were two gay people. I just, I, I'm, it's sort of reassuring that we've moved that far though. I've seen that soap and there's like drugs and guns and loads of stuff <laughs> that happens and not a lot of that you know, aligns with the family values that I thought this great British country was supposed to be uh, built on the back of, but they have an issue with a peck on the forehead. A peck. Do also, what does it say about what does it say about men just sort of being intimate? You know, with each mm -hmm. other, like men showing vulnerability and emotion. That's all tied up into this, and oh god, I'm so glad we're past that now, where yeah, we're allowed both. to. We're allowed to have a little bit of men showing their feelings. Men showing their sexuality in public on, on primetime TV. But yeah. that was that was seen by, what, 8 million people? Yes. And it turns out that soaps continue to be trailblazers for LGBTQ plus representation. Here's screenwriting legend Russell T Davies talking to, again, our Matt Cain, about whether we are living, and I'm using big air quotes, which obviously you can't see because this is radio, whether we're living in a golden age for queer themes. Inevitably, whenever we talk about, there's a danger that we talk about films and television and drama and theatre, and we leave the soaps out. 
Yes, and no, I, no, absolutely, know, absolutely. You, I know you love your soap operas, but try any critic having this discussion or article in The Guardian, and it'll just skip the soap operas. Yes. They are the heart of the schedule. They have the most viewers, and they have enormously valuable queer stories. They do, absolutely. And um, the queer storylines, they have romantic storylines, you know, mm. um, emotionally engaging lives. Right, I want to bring in um, my panel in a minute, but I'm just going to say about soaps is that one TV exec said to me, the thing is about soaps that because they have so many characters, they can afford to take a risk with a lesbian on the street or the gay man who works behind the bar. Yeah, was that was that a few years ago, Matt? Now got yes. six gay men on going to Enough of that. Can we have a woman in here, please? <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's you plenty know, of lesbians in Corrie. There's lot of the were the last time I watched it. But you see, the figures are truly extraordinary. And very often you'll get people I mean I mean, Hollyoaks, good lord, try and find me a straight person. Oh I know, I know. It's <laughs> Fantastic. But you will very often get criticisms of television voiced by people who do not watch television. So from the very first bit of LGBTQ plus representation with Michael Cashman's Kiss, it is great to see that there has been so much progress in the soaps. But, of course, the soaps aren't the only thing on the telly. Try telling my mum that. <laughs> uh, we couldn't play a clip from Russell T Davies without chatting about the incredible It's a Sin. So we'll do that straight after Daryl's Virgin Radio Pride weekly update. Thank you both. Hello, TV host Lorraine Kelly's been praised for calling out former University of Sussex professor Kathleen Stock for transphobic comments she made during an exclusive interview on her show. Stock's featured in numerous news headlines following her university resignation after accusations were made against her concerning transphobic comments about gender identity. On Lorraine's show, she said that feeling like a woman doesn't make you a woman as far as she's concerned. There's still a bunch of people out there that really don't want me to have this conversation. And they are, you know, they're influential too. Well, we've been able to have a conversation because I don't agree with everything that you're saying at mm-hmm. all. I know. But that's OK. It is OK. Because we can talk about it. <laughs> we can talking. talk about it. And that, exactly. Absolutely. Lorraine Kelly there, a true LGBT plus ally. Now, Australian footballer Josh Cavallo has admitted he is terrified of Qatar's homophobic laws as it prepares to host the World Cup. The Adelaide United left-back became the world's only out gay active top-flight male football player when he came out last month. But in Qatar, male homosexuality is illegal and punishable with fines, prison sentences and technically, under Sharia law, death. Finally for this week, Angelina Jolie has praised Disney for refusing to edit superhero film Eternals after censors in the Gulf Nations reportedly took exception to an LGBT character. The blockbuster movie will reportedly not arrive in cinemas in Saudi Arabia, Kuwait or Qatar. According to The Hollywood Reporter, Disney, which owns Marvel, refused to make the requested edits. And I will have more next week. Thanks, Daryl. Now, we've just heard from the absolute legend that is screenwriter Russell T. Davis. All Russ to us. And I think it's fair to say that It's a Sin earlier this year was a massive milestone in LGBTQ plus representation on the small screen. I cried so much. You and me both. I think the whole nation was in tears. I just, you know, when you have a programme, just, you know, you feel it. And yes. I've not had that for so long and just episode five. Mm-hmm. 
every single episode it just felt like being slapped in the face over and over and over again and coming back for more weirdly I couldn't binge watch it that is the kind of show I would have wanted to binge watch so I would know everything before everybody else but I was like I need to take my time because this is gonna hurt me (laughs) (laughs) hidden in my um in my whatsapp I gave my friend an instant reaction to It's a Sin. And I I listened to it the other day and it was just me basically crying. I was like, I couldn't understand a word I was saying. But it was just that sort of moment where you go, oh, that's a plot that I see. Yeah, and I think, you know, you and I both um, didn't live through that period of time. But Mm -hmm. in terms of the generation of people who survived that era, who who grew up without having any representation of gay people on screen to then have such a direct representation of what their lives were like during this period of time, it must have hit so different for them. Oh, yeah. It must have... uh, From people I know that were kind of alive at that time, they said it it was just a a really really emotional experience seeing it portrayed and i know from you know hearing about the program and and hearing the clips and hearing people talk about how they did it they wanted the program to be as accurate as possible and to not neglect things i think it's just there were so many different takeaways for people there were takeaways that you know it timed around national hiv testing week uh thousands of people tested themselves during the the week that it was broadcasting on on channel four thousands of people went okay i'm going to request it a request a kit and it was so good to see that discussion going i noticed that channel four did the big campaign on you know safer sex testing all of that stuff um and that was really really positive to see and then other people got something completely different you know my mum watching it got something totally different out of it and it was a really nice conversation to have with her and people who were alive in that generation got something out of it as well that was completely different it was really huge yeah it was so well done so well put together so well acted incredibly soundtracked there's <laughs> oh there's literally nothing i can fault apart from give jill more airtime because oh we all need more jill oh we love jill um of course it was so good to see something like it's a sin on our screens last year but as lgbtq plus representation gets you know, more commonplace, which is a win. Is it time that we evolved away from exclusively LGBTQ plus shows and into a place where queer people appear on screen in just normal storylines, just like we do in real life? Here's another clip from R. Ross chatting with <laughs> Matt Cain, this time talking about having queer themes as subplots. This idea of having queer themes being incidental or part of a bigger whole as opposed to the central thing. This is a queer drama. This is a gay central character who falls in love with another man or another woman. And this is who we are going to encourage the audience to empathise with. Which do you think is more powerful or do they, do they each have a role? They're both fine. Having both fine. It's like you can't, you can't say one or the other. Otherwise, otherwise the, 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 it would be a very extreme world you were living in where all dramas would have to be straight or all dramas would have to be. Of course, we're all the subplot in someone else's life. (laughs) (laughs) I'd love to be centre stage with everyone all the time, but we are all, sometimes, yeah, we're not centre stage. And that's just a fact. (laughs) And the fact, um, I'm 
obviously a gay drama is going to be about gay themes. I am more happy when I see a cold feet type drama that has a gay sister in it or the lesbian neighbours or stuff like that. I like that. I, I get cross um, when that doesn't happen. I do, And I think there should be more of that because I do think, you know, when I say we're in a gay nirvana, I also think, take the soaps aside, and you could watch a whole stream of nine o'clock dramas without a single gay character cropping up. And that's when I get annoyed. It's like, okay, so you're a straight writer and you've written a straight character, but where? what about the two women next door? What about your gay mum? What about the gay brother? It, that's when I... I do think there's work to be done there. So I would... I'm not disappointed when I see gay subplots. I want to see more gay subplots so we're woven into a picture of the world. I think we won't have true representation until we see a storyline that is just a queer person in an Audi struggling with this really fast checkout. You know, when you're just kind of like, you're getting hit by things. I think that's the sort of representation that, you know, it, it sounds like I'm taking taking the mick out of it here, but it's just constantly the representation that we see in actual you know movies and telly and whatnot always has to be focused around people's sexuality and it's not just like a gay person having an experience it's getting better but you know you can just imagine them creating those characters in in hollywood (laughs) who's going to be who i was about to say we don't have true representation until we have somebody being completely unable to choose what to eat in a menu because that is what I experience every time I go to a restaurant (laughs) but I'm bisexual and I feel like that kind of stereotype is something we need to erase but also very accurate for me (laughs) I hate it when the stereotypes are true (laughs) it's um it's it's nice to kind of see a world where we are moving towards queer subplots not just being tokenistic but it's still kind of there isn't it still having those tokenistic representations of us yeah it's always the gay best friend oh god it's always the yas queen gays it's always and that's fine like we are a very diverse community in both our experiences the way we live our lives all sorts of things but it seems to be that we are getting very heavily represented in one way more than any other way. And I would just love to be able to see, like, I don't know, a really boring... You never get representation of a boring gay person. Oh, no, they always have to be drama. Flamboyant. Flamboyant, over the top. Colourful, always. It's like somehow people who do dressing or whatever it is, costumes on TV (laughs) think that gay people and queer people only ever wear like full rainbow outfits which like I have yeah we we all have one tucked away in the drawer ready for you know pride the one day that one day a year where we actually have to wear the rainbow otherwise you know otherwise you don't know who we are yeah Yeah, uh, well how would you be able to work out you know Uh, what event would you be going to I don't know god Nana's conference no (laughs) so it's it's (laughs) it's <laughs> I, I really don't dress like overly flamboyantly in, in the day to day I don't know any you know costume department when you're watching them on there it's just gone right okay he works in the media industry so we're going to give him a flannel shirt some jeans maybe some trainers probably some trainers okay that's it that, that's my outfit day to day, but I don't see that being represented. It's tokenistic well, rainbows. Yeah, when it comes to queer people, it's always flamboyant. And as I say, there are a lot of flamboyant LGBTQ plus <laughs> people. And some people might say that I am one of them, but that does not mean that that represents all of us. And we need to see the representation 
of the boring quiz. But, and this is plain devil's advocate here. Are you about also, to say there's no such thing as a boring quiz? Well, no, actually, I wasn't even going to say that. I was just going to say... Not true ally. <laughs> always great fun. I'm going to play devil's advocate here and say I get really annoyed watching queer representations of telly or on films and they are just so always intertwined with the coming out experience. You know, like Love, Simon. Of course, the movie concludes with him having his moment where he's he's out and on the rainbow and kissing in front of people. He's but, on the rainbow. He no, goes on the, on the, the, on the, the rainbow. rainbow. <laughs> on the wheel, on the wheel that goes around. It's What's a Ferris wheel. Ferris wheel. <laughs> kind of forgot like the big key element there. But, you know, oh, it's just so frustrating when film, TV, whatever it is, they have to have a queer story that's focused on people coming out. But we did it. Last week, we were talking about coming out. Oh, I'm, okay, I'm going to leave. <laughs> I don't... Leave. The thing is, is that I don't think that that is necessarily a problem. I think coming out is still an issue that mm. lots of... It's not really an issue. It's an experience. It's an experience that lots of LGBTQ plus people have to experience once, maybe multiple times, maybe on a daily basis. We've talked about this in the last episode, episode one, go check it out. But... I think there is an importance to represent that and to represent the kinds of experiences that 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 leads to, but that isn't the sum total of our experience. So what what you're saying is we've had enough of the coming out. I yes. think I think it's it's still we, important to have those stories because yeah. that is an accurate story in our lives. Yeah, we've had a lot of the comings out. If if we could just like do slightly less of them and a bit more of the other thing that makes us like all the other aspects of our lives that make us human, you know, sharing the Outlook calendar with your partner, that sort of thing. It's not just limited to telly though. And you know, when we're talking about LGBTQ plus media, there are loads of other places where we still need that representation. Yes, you are totally right. And one of those places is books. Have listened to Paul Burston, the founder of the Polari Literary Prize and Salon, chatting to Emma Goswell about the need to increase integration of queer and straight stories. And you started it, as you said at the beginning, because, you know, you weren't getting the recognition from, you know, the straight literary festivals. Do you think that's still the case? Do you think LGBT authors can get forgotten about I think it's changing. I think that publishing on on the whole is changing. I mean, the buzzwords now are diversity and, and equality hmm. and buzzwords in the publishing world. I do think there's still some way to go. I think there's still the case that too many publishers and festival producers think that if they just pop a little LGBT thing on the end, then that's that covered. Hmm. And that to me is not how to do it properly. The way you do it properly is to actually give a space that that is dedicated to LGBTQ voices, but also ensure that those voices are also heard across the programme and across the publishing world, not just mm. not not just sort of ticking boxes. Yeah. I mean, when I when I when I programme events, I don't I don't think in terms of ticking boxes. I think in terms of diversity actually being a strength. So it's f- for me, um, as a white gay man, I wouldn't want to host an event where there were four other authors on the bill and they're all white gay men. I've been to many events Quite. like that, by the way, many mm-hmm. many events like that. And I don't think that's how you do it. I think you, the way you do it is that you you use a platform that's created in the name of diversity and you make it as diverse as possible within itself. So you mm. have all kinds of people within that bill. That makes it for a much a far better event. As a producer, I find it much more, more entertaining and enjoyable to programme. And it makes for a much better uh, viewer experience or, 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 or audience member experience because and- people see themselves reflected. 
Oh, the best book I have read in my whole entire life. It is called Real Life by Brandon Taylor. And I saw so much representation in that. It's a black gay man who's studying chemistry at university. And I could just completely feel all of the things he was feeling, even though in all of these different ways, we're not the same, but we are sort of lumped in with the same sort of minorities. So Mm -hmm. we both are BAME and we are both LGBTQ which you know no one is all of those things or maybe they are but very few people are all of those things and you know I did physics he did chemistry and there's all this like oh it was like the perfect book written for me and I love it and everyone should read it matters doesn't it 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 really does it helps that it was really well written and a beautiful story but also it was great to be represented okay honest question did you cry yeah. <laughs> can you can you hear it in her voice just kind of choking a little bit? You're practically choking. Oh. Uh, I, I know I need to read a bit more. And uh, I've got into doing puzzles on the tube, but I feel like I should re- replace, not like puzzles in pulling out a jigsaw. Like, like a Sudoku. Yeah, like a Sudoku. Um, but I need Other to Other puzzles are available. <laughs> like Killer Sudoku. I did my first one of those yesterday and I was very proud of myself. But Congratulations. Thank you. I need to get into reading more and there's uh, a book that I currently am using to prop up my laptop on my desk at work at home you know when we're working from home um, at work home homework homework work home it's Diary of a Drag Queen by Crystal Rasmussen and I've really wanted to read it and I've seen really good reviews so I will get back to you next well, week yeah you better read it by next week I am a fast reader to be fair so we're sorted why do you need to get it done by next week Alex well because next week we're talking all things drag now with the final of drag race uk fast approaching we're going to be talking about how drag is becoming more and more inclusive ah i can't wait for it but that is all we can tell you at the moment because this is all we have time for today as always we would love to hear from you about anything we've spoken about in the show or anything you'd like us to speak about in the future you can get in touch with us via email pridecast at virginradio.co.uk or you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Virgin Radio UK and make sure you use the hashtag Virgin Radio Pridecast. We'll see you for that next Friday. But for now, let's go back to where we started, to the brilliant Dr. Rand Singh, who gave a fantastic and really moving answer to the question of whether setting up our own radio station <laughs> was simply dwelling in the victimhood. It's not. It's fighter mentality, yes. isn't it? It's not being victims. We are doing everything but, I think. I think it's acknowledging that we've come from a very difficult place and we've had, a lot of us have had traumatic experiences to get here, but actually we need to drive this forward and we want to make things better for the people coming. That's the point. It's that selfless part of it as well. That is actually, this shouldn't be like this for anybody. Um And I don't think that's a victim mentality. I don't think that's dwelling on persecution because we are still being persecuted. Sorry for that newsflash. It's still happening. Um, But we are doing something about it. 